And uh, my name's Aaron. If we haven't met, maybe it's your first time here. And uh, I get to wrap up this series with the last two weeks. Uh, and so I'm just excited for that as well. And uh, I want to start uh, my message today by bringing you back uh, to something that happened in my world just a couple weeks ago. So it was uh, snow camp weekend. So we got a picture here of uh, snow camp. Uh, snow camp is uh, our student ministry lifeline brought about over 800 people up to Spring Hill Camps for Snow Camp Weekend, and uh, three of those people were my kids. So my three oldest went to Snow Camp. And uh, something that you might not know about my family is that my wife, Katie, is actually a lifeline leader. So she is a small group leader for uh, eighth grade girls, and so she was also at Snow Camp which means that I was home alone with my two youngest daughters, age seven and 10. And I gotta tell you, we had a lot of fun. I mean, we did some cool stuff. One of the things we did was a movie night. And so uh, we ordered pizza. My daughters love root beer, so we got root beer. And I made popcorn. Now, I'm talking about real popcorn. Like on the stove, you know, with real melted butter. It was so good. My youngest daughter was like, this is the butteriest popcorn I've ever had in my life. And then we all got tummy aches because I put way too much popcorn, uh, butter on that popcorn. Uh, you might be wondering, like, you know, what movie did we watch for movie night? Well, we watched the uh, newest Disney animated film. Uh, here's a picture from that movie. It's called Strange World. And uh, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. Um, it's an interesting movie. And I wonder, uh, those of you who are parents, have you ever had one of those kind of oops moments where it's like, probably should have previewed that before <laughs> watching it with my kids? Now, I consider myself to be a pretty careful parent. And most of the time, like almost always, I check plugged in media or some other parenting website. Uh, but I was making popcorn, and <laughs> homemade popcorn takes a long time, and so I didn't. And so there we were, down in our basement watching this movie. And just a couple minutes into the movie, there was a scene that was that was very interesting because one of the main characters in the movie is a teenage boy. And there's this scene where there's this other teenage boy, and it's clear they have a crush on each other. Like, they're really into each other. And their friend group is all about it. And the parents of the main character, the teenager, they're all about it as well. And it was just one of those moments where I realized, okay, what used to be not normal in our society has become very normal. And so as a parent, you know, what would you do in that situation? And what I did is I paused the movie and I just asked my girls, you know, hey, what do you, what do you think about what's, what's happening in this movie right now? And they were confused. And so we just kept the movie paused for a bit and we had a conversation about what's happening in our culture, in our society, and about God's design and about how we as Christians, as Jesus followers, navigate this space. And friends, this is the conversation I want to have with all of you today. And I think it's a very important and relevant conversation because I know that many of you have somebody in your life, a, a coworker, uh, somebody at school, a friend perhaps, or, or even someone in your family who identifies as LGBTQ+, uh, one level or another. And let's get even more specific. Uh, I, I read some research this week, uh, a study, I'll show you a graphic from the research that I read, 
Uh, this shows the percentage of individuals in five different generations who identify as LGBTQ+. And uh, the top one there is Gen Z. So that's, you know, people, what, early 20s and, and younger. And if you're looking at this going like, it feels like something is changing in our society. That would be because something is changing in our society. One in five Gen Z uh, people identify at some level as LGBTQ+. And what that tells me is that some of you would identify as LGBTQ+. And uh, the truth is, you might be just going, okay, if this is how I feel, and this is how I'm attracted, can I still be a Christian? And these are very real questions in some of what we're going to address today. And uh, I have bad news. I don't have any popcorn for you, <laughs> okay? So we're just going to have this conversation, but I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be important. And uh, the context for this conversation, of course, is the series that we're in, The Questionable Life. And the idea behind this series is living the kind of life that causes the people around you to ask questions, questions like, how do you live with such hope with everything that's going on in our world? And the truth is that the very first Christians and also Christians today should be countercultural. We should live in a way that makes people go, wait, hold up, that's, that's kind of weird. What's up with that? Now, this series is based on a letter uh, in our New Testament. It's called 1 Peter. It's an actual letter that the apostle Peter wrote to Christians living in the first century, first-generation Jesus followers who were living under the Roman Empire. And these Christians lived very counterculturally compared to rest, the rest of Roman society. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, diversity. I mean, if you happened upon a church in the first century, you would see some things that you, you would see nowhere else in the world. You would see Jewish people hanging out with non-Jewish people in the same house. That didn't happen anywhere else. You would see slaves sharing a meal with estate owners. So just in terms of diversity, ethnicity, social status, etc., they were very countercultural. Another example just has to do with the value of human life. In Roman society, it was very common to abandon babies. If there was some kind of deformity, if you wanted a son and you had a, a girl, I mean, people would regularly just abandon children. And the early Christians, we have documented historical evidence of this, they would uh, rescue those babies and raise them not as slaves, as many Romans did, but as their own children. The early Christians were countercultural in terms of the sanctity of human life. And then, as we're going to talk about today, sexuality. They were countercultural. Because in the Roman world, it was normal, in fact, it was expected that you would mess around on your spouse, extramarital affairs. Temple prostitution was a real thing that happened in this culture. And same-sex sexual expression was very normal in the Roman world. And so these first Christians, as we will see in Peter's letter, they lived counter-culturally, especially in terms of sexuality. Now, as we talk about this, and as I've framed the conversation around LGBTQ 
plus topics. I just need you to know something. That this letter that Peter wrote, he didn't write it to just gay Christians. He wrote it to all Christians. And so all of us are going to be challenged today. And all of us are going to have some moments where we feel a little uncomfortable with what we're talking about. And all of us are going to have to decide if we are willing to surrender our sexuality to the leadership of Jesus. And I fully understand that not everybody is going to agree with everything that I say today. And so what I'm going to be trying to do is share with you how our leadership, the the leadership of Ada Bible Church, how we understand the scriptures and how we believe God is calling us to engage in this cultural moment. And so this will be an opportunity for all of us to hear what the scriptures have to say and to respond to them. And just a reminder that being a Jesus follower always has been and always will be countercultural. So it's just two points today, two ways, according to Peter's letter, two ways that we are called to be countercultural. And the first uh, thing is, uh, the first way is just this word right here, abstain. And this is going to come straight from uh, Peter's letter. I'm going to be in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, if you want to follow along. And uh, it starts like this in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, and I'm just going to stop right there. It's not the rest of the verse, but I just want to stop. Dear friends, I urge you. You see, Peter is about to issue for these first century believers and us, by extension, a really, really hard challenge. But before he gets there, it's like he wants to remind them of something, something that's foundational to engaging this challenge. He says, dear friends, which literally in the original language is beloved or loved ones. And it's like he's saying, you have to understand what it means to be beloved before you step into this challenge. And I think he's talking about the gospel here. I think he's reminding us of the gospel, which is this reality that you are far more messed up and broken and sinful than you would ever want to admit to anybody, including yourself. That's true of you, and it's true of me. And you are far more loved than you could possibly imagine. So loved that God sent his son Jesus to die in your place, paying off your debts so that you could be forgiven, that you could be restored, that you could be adopted into the family of God and be his beloved. And it's like, unless you understand this reality, you will approach this challenge that Peter is about to give with a sense of, well, I have to do that in order for God to to like me, to approve of me, to love me. No, you already have his approval. You already are his beloved because of the gospel. So we we don't do what God is asking us to do because we have to. We do it because we're so incredibly grateful for what he has done for us. So we just need to be clear about this foundation. Now, as beloved, here's what Peter has to say to us. He says, dear friends, beloved, I urge you, 
as foreigners and exiles to abstain, that's our word, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. To abstain is to say no, it's to not partake. And he's saying here is contrary to what our culture says, there are desires that you experience that you should not listen to. They are not good for you. There are desires that you experience that will lead you to behavior that dishonors God and his design for humanity. Now, something I want to be very clear about here is I think there is a difference between experiencing a desire and committing a sin. And I just believe that when we act on a desire, when we indulge in desire, when a desire leads us to do something, that's when it crosses over from experiencing a desire into sin. I think that's a very important distinction as we move forward in this conversation. But what Peter is saying is, look, there are certain desires that you need to say no to, that you need to abstain from. Now, let's back up to where we started this conversation. I'm watching a movie with my daughters, and there's uh, two gay characters in the movie, and we start having this conversation. So let's, let's talk about a particular desire, and that is same-sex attraction. Let's talk about what the scriptures have to say about this. I think it's important for us to understand that the scriptures from beginning to end and throughout communicate that God's desire, God's design for sexuality is one man, one woman in the context of marriage. And that same-sex sexual expression, sexual intimacy is outside of God's design for good human sexuality. We see this in the garden where God creates man and a woman and he says, you will be joined together, male and female. We see this at Mount Sinai when God gives his people Israel the law where that same image of marriage is repeated and same-sex sexual expression is prohibited in the law. We see it in Israel in the first century with Jesus where Jesus affirms this design for marriage between a man and a woman, and we see it throughout the Mediterranean world in the letters of Paul and Peter and other New Testament writers who affirm this same teaching. So it's from beginning to end, it is throughout. God's design for human sexuality is one man, one woman in a marriage, and same-sex sexual intimacy is outside of God's design. Now, if you're somebody who experiences same-sex attraction and you love Jesus, what do you do with this? How do you put these two together? Now, to answer this question or to help answer this question, I want you to meet somebody. And it's my friend Lori Krieg. And our video team filmed a conversation between myself and Lori Krieg that I think is gonna be incredibly helpful for us. It's about seven minutes long. And uh, two things you have to know about Lori before watching this video is number one, for as long as Lori can remember, I mean, since she was young, she has been attracted to girls, attracted to, to women. 
Secondly, for as long as she can remember, I mean, since she was little, she has loved Jesus. And her story is a story of reconciling these two aspects of herself in a way that still honors Scripture. And so let's take a look at my conversation with Lori Creek. Hey, everybody. I am so excited for you to meet my friend, Lori Krieg. Lori, how are you today? I'm doing so great. Glad to be with you. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, Lori, you and I have been friends for like, I don't know, five years or something. Lots of conversations over coffee, et cetera. And you've done uh, some ministry with our church uh, around LGBT topics. You've done some training with our uh, student ministry staff and volunteers, women's ministry, probably a bunch of other stuff, too. And something I think is going to be really helpful for our people, it's not just that you do ministry around LGBT topics, but you also identify uh, LGBT in some way. So would you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so identity language can be so mishmashy, but I I primarily identify as a child of, of the living God. I'm loved by God and love him dearly. But when it comes to sexual orientation, uh, you know, I, I fall under the LGBTQ umbrella or same-sex attracted or gay. So another way I can say it's kind of awkward, but mm-hmm. if I struggle with lust, it's toward women. Okay. But if that, that helps kind of uh, clarify some things, yeah. is that that's the world that I belong to. You know what I love about your answer is that you started <laughs> with, uh, I think you said daughter of the king, child yeah. of, of God, something like yeah. that, Jesus follower. So that's first, yep. and then secondarily is uh, the attractions that you experience. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's a story there. I mean, you, you've been on a journey. And if you're willing, I would love for our people just to hear a little bit of your, of your journey. Yeah, I'm super happy to share that. So I was born with this God-shaped hole in my heart, which, you know, there's a podcast that we run. We call it Hole in My Heart. Yeah. Um, but you maybe have heard of that. It's St. Augustine says, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We see this with Solomon talking about it in Ecclesiastes, Mm -hmm. that God puts eternity in our hearts. But instead of being like, you have this God-shaped hole in your heart, and what do you fill it with? Jesus. (laughs) Instead of saying that, we could. Uh, We like to talk about these things called core needs. That God puts these good desires in us before the fall for things like to be seen and known and loved and belonged and sought after. Yep, so those are good things. Those are good things. But then, wah, wah. (laughs) <laughs> we're all born after the fall. Yep. And so because of the fall, we have these good desires that ideally are met in perfect relationship to people and yep. to God. But because we're born after the fall, we all have, you, me, everybody, mm-hmm. have these natural to us defaults, predispositions, or orientations, if you will, okay. to get the good needs of our heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy and don't glorify God. Okay. We're all born that way. Yeah, trying to find the right stuff in the wrong places. Yeah, for sure. And so for me, I had some church acceptable ways and church unacceptable, at least in how I grew up. So uh, like performance, people Mm -hmm. pleasing. I was that 4.0 girl in the I can relate to that minus the 4.0. It's a little lower than that. Well, it's it's okay. Forgive you. Um, But then I also had from a very young age, like five years old, I felt this draw toward my same sex, my same gender. It's weird to say the Word attraction because you're five, but I just I just knew that it was more different than other girls. It felt like that, and 
growing up in 80s, 90s, moral majority, evangelical America, that wasn't like, oh, this is my version of sexual brokenness. I yeah. need to surrender the, to the Lordship <laughs> of Christ. As a five-year-old, you yeah. weren't thinking these I things. I didn't okay. know yeah. surrender words. But uh, I, I instead, I was like, goodness, I, I got to shut that noise down. And so I tried to just detach it. Fast forward to college, mm -hmm. Christian, going to Christian school, loved Jesus as much as I knew how. Mm -hmm. Met another Christian girl who felt the same way about me as I did about her. My dad was a pastor. Yeah. And I ended up in this secret same-sex relationship. And I really reached a, a devastating point for me, a critical crossroads, where I felt like, okay, to stay in the church, I really felt like to stay in the church, I had to be straight. Yeah. Because that was the only model that was talked about. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and the only narrative in the homosexual world was they were gay, and then they came to Christ, and now they're straight. And so I was like, I don't, I love Jesus. I don't know how to love him more to become straight. So I either, to be in the church, I honestly felt like I would have to kill myself because I didn't know how to live that out. Yeah. Even though I believed, yes, I believe that's God's design for marriage. I didn't know how to live that out without wanting to kill myself. You had this attraction since you were little, but yeah. you had this faith, and you couldn't. I couldn't resolve them. I couldn't make them work together. So it's either stay in the church, probably have to die, or I come out as a lesbian atheist. Didn't realize there was a third way. Hmm. And someone came alongside me in this critical season. And she was technically my counselor who I went to see because I was suicidal. Hmm. But I, she, she didn't just know about God. She didn't just know about like therapy world. She knew God. Hmm. And yeah. she didn't use, she didn't pull up Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, all the clobber passages, yeah. nor did she try and make me straight. What she helped me do was to experience the love of God in those core places within me. Yeah. Where I, I didn't know I could be seen and known and loved by him. And she didn't use some fancy therapy or whatever, orientation change stuff. She really used old-fashioned spiritual disciplines and taught me how to take some of the barriers between those good needs of my yeah. heart and the need meter of my soul to take some of that pain, even from the church. Yeah. How to grieve that, to use the discipline of lament, to take that pain to God. And yes, there was confession of sin, but that wasn't all of it. Mm -hmm. I really needed to know God's love, and that changed me. Wow. So she didn't, this is, this is going to be, uh, I'll probably say this wrong. She didn't try to um, make you not gay anymore right. in terms of your attraction. She tried to help you see how God filled the, the deeper needs underneath those attractions. And that love, according to Ephesians 3, it's so great. We're never going to fully understand mm -hmm. it. But then we'll be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God's love, Aaron, empowers us all to die to our natural defaults. Hmm. Whether it's money, sex, power, any of those things, yeah. God's love empowers us. And that love empowered me and empowers me today. I still, if I struggle with lust and women, yeah. I can still identify as gay or LGBT. But it's like I don't, I have this love that's, it's worth dying to myself for him. Mm. So you're, you're surrendering that attraction, that desire, yeah. in the same way that I have to surrender my desires yeah. and find those needs in Christ. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. That's powerful. Isn't Laura great? So grateful that she was willing to share her story with us.
So uh, Lori's uh, journey of faith and sexuality led her to do something. It's, I think the word Peter uses in his letter is abstain. The word Lori used, the uh, word I happen to like is the word surrender. Surrender her attractions and desires to the leadership of Jesus. And uh, something you need to know about Lori is that her story is pretty unusual in that she is married to a guy named Matt, and they have a couple kids and a great marriage, and I just think that that is, is very unusual because uh, most of the individuals that I talk with um, who are same-sex attracted or LGBTQ+, plus, uh, at some level, and a Jesus follower, that, that's not necessarily their story. For many of them, to surrender their desires to Jesus means a life of celibacy. And I just, I just need you to think about that for a moment. No dating, no marriage, no biological kids. Friends, that is really, really hard. And it's also incredibly honorable. And I think it gives us a beautiful picture of the infinite value and worth of knowing Jesus. Because Jesus is worth giving up everything for. And I think for those of us who are straight, it's just helpful to get a picture of the incredible commitment and sacrifice required by LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's a challenge here also for those of us who are straight. And I mentioned this before, and that is uh, this letter was not written to just gay Christians. It was written to all Christians. And so this challenge to abstain from sinful desires, to surrender the desires that we experience, this is not just for LGBTQ plus Jesus followers, this is for all of us with equal weight. And I think we need to wrestle with this because many of us would say, look, uh, uh, you know, somebody who experiences same-sex attraction and they're a believer, well, they must surrender that desire because same-sex sexual intimacy, well, that, that is sin. And while that is true, we say that and rationalize our own sexual brokenness. We say same-sex sexual expression is so wrong, and yet we rationalize pornography in our own lives. And we sort of explain away crossing physical boundaries with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We kind of shrug and say, well, everybody has a couple hookups in their 20s. And we rationalize moving in with our boyfriend or our girlfriend before we're married. And we just kind of shrug and say, well, everybody messes around on their spouse a little bit. Friends, there's a word for this, and the word is hypocrisy. All of us, every single one of us, is called to a countercultural sexuality because of our allegiance to Jesus. And so I just feel the need to challenge us, me included, to stop rationalizing our sexual sin, stop allowing our culture to conform our sexuality, and rather invite Jesus to transform our sexuality. And I recognize that 
as I bring this up and, and bring a challenge here that some of us are just going back to mistakes that we made in the past, and that drags up a lot of pain, a lot of regret, and a lot of shame. And so can I remind you that you are beloved? And yes, you are more messed up and broken and sinful than you would ever want to admit, and this is a good reminder of that. And you are more loved than you could possibly imagine. And so I would encourage you, move forward in confidence with Christ, knowing that you are forgiven and pure and clean in his eyes. And give him leadership of your sexuality. So as we talk about what it means as Jesus followers to live counterculturally, this is how we deal with what's going on inside of us with the desires that we feel. We are called to abstain from sinful desires, to surrender those desires to the leadership of Christ. But what do we do about what's going on outside of us? I mean, back to the movie I'm watching with my daughters, what do we do about what's happening in our culture? And specifically, what do we do, how do we respond to LGBTQ plus individuals in our lives? And Peter has some important things to say to us on this topic as well. And so the second way that we're called to be countercultural, two words, okay? Two words that will come straight from this text, honor and love. Down in verse 17, Peter says this, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, the last couple uh, statements there, fear God, honor the emperor, we're going to talk about that next week. So if you're interested in a, a conversation about faith and politics, that's next week. But for this week, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers. Let's, let's dig into this. this. This phrase, show proper respect to everyone. Literally, in the original language, the word here is honor everyone, as in esteem value, venerate every single person. It's a very high word. Show everyone honor. Treat everyone as if they are extremely valuable because they are. Because every human being is created in God's image and therefore has innate value and worth as a reflection of their creator. And it doesn't matter who it is. Honor them. Treat them as if they are extremely valuable. I'm talking about people that don't believe and don't follow Jesus. Honor them. I'm talking about people that vote for the other political party. Honor them. I'm talking about people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, even those who are loud and aggressive activists. Treat them as if they are extremely valuable because they are. Why? Because they're created in God's image. And because Jesus did. I mean, read back through the Gospels. Look at how Jesus interacts with people. Watch how he interacts with people who are considered to be bad in society and outside society. He always honors them. He listens to them. He eats with them. He touches them. And yes, he calls them to repent, meaning to change their way. He calls them to put their faith in him and to follow him. But he always does it 
with honoring and with respect. And so what does this mean for us? I believe this means that jokes about LGBTQ plus individuals are not God's desire for his church. Hurtful and derogatory comments are not God's desire for his people. And I believe it does mean that we should move toward LGBTQ plus people in relationship, honoring them by listening to them and understanding their story. But I don't believe that it means that we should change what we believe about Scripture. That Scripture teaches that sex is a gift for a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And that same-sex sexual intimacy is outside God's design. No, we are called to a countercultural sexuality. That means we hold firmly to our beliefs and we honor people along the way. And that's really challenging. I mean, how do you live in that tension? How do you actually live that out? It's really tough space. And many of you don't need me to tell you that because you have a lesbian daughter. You have a gay brother. And you got somebody in your school that you have known since kindergarten who is transitioning from male to female, and you're just going, how, how do I hold to my beliefs and show honor in that space? It's very, it's very challenging. Now, we have an event coming up that I think is gonna be really helpful here. And uh, just a picture here showing the event, Navigating LGBTQ Plus with Grace and Truth, that's what we're talking about, a conversation with Preston Sprinkle. So this is coming up on February 9. That's two Thursdays from now. Preston Sprinkle, just a bit about this guy. Uh, biblical scholar, author, expert on the intersection between faith and LGBTQ plus topics. Something I personally really appreciate about Preston is he studied the scriptures at an incredibly deep level. I mean, the guy teaches at a seminary. And he has taken the time to build a bunch of relationships with LGBTQ plus people in his life. He has done a whole lot of help me understand your experience. And so I trust that Preston will represent what we believe the scriptures teach, and I believe he will honor people in the conversation. And so if you're in space where you're just going, I I'm not sure how to engage with this person in my life, this event could be incredibly helpful for you. Now, let me just, uh, I want to draw one more observation from this passage. And if you're wondering, this is like the last curve, okay, in this sermon. So hang in there with me. Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. And then right here, love the family of believers. Love the family of of believers. Friends, I need you to know that there are LGBTQ plus Jesus following brothers and sisters who call Ada Bible Church home. And I have met with a few of them and something that's become very clear to me is how incredibly lonely it can be to identify LGBTQ plus and try to follow Jesus. 
And did you know that the levels of anxiety and depression and even suicide are astronomically high in the LGBTQ plus community? And it's not much better in the American church. And so if our brothers and sisters in Christ who identify as LGBTQ plus are going to thrive in the family of Ada Bible Church, we are going to have to change our posture. Peter says, love the family of believers. And they're part of the family. And so we need to move toward them with encouragement and appreciation and support and friendship, treating them as if they're family. They don't just need honor, they also need love. And so I would challenge you, is there someone that you need to move toward in friendship? Somebody in your small group, a fellow student at Lifeline, somebody you serve coffee with in the atrium, who do you need to move toward in friendship? Love the family of believers. And you might be saying, well, I, I just don't know anybody. And my response to that is, yeah, you do. You just don't know it. And I would remind you of that statistic. Over 20% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ plus some level. I think you do know people. And so I would encourage you to be very loving in the way that you speak about sexual matters and about LGBTQ plus topics because your tone and your language reveal whether or not you come from a place of love, of safety, somebody that can be trusted. So as we uh, bring this to a close, uh, I know that we've talked about some difficult things and some of you have had past pain kind of drug up. Others of you are, are wrestling with desires that you experience, I mean, right now. And some of you have deep questions still. I realize I didn't answer a lot of the questions. Um, the best way to go about this, I think, is a conversation. And so I would encourage you to reach out, if you're, if you're here in person at one of our campuses, reach out to your campus pastor. Find them in the atrium or perhaps you know, in front of the uh, auditorium at the end of the service. Find a ministry leader that you know and begin a conversation. If you're watching online, send us an email and we'll get you connected with a ministry leader or a campus pastor who can walk with you. I just think conversation or relationship is really what's needed here. So let me close with this. I want so badly for Ada Bible Church to be a church that holds firmly to God's design for marriage and sexuality without compromising to our culture. And I want so badly for Ada Bible Church to be a church where anyone especially LGBTQ plus individuals, can experience God, choose to follow Jesus, and like all of us, wrestle with what it means to surrender our lives and our sexuality to the leadership of Jesus. May God transform each one of us and all of us together so that we might be the church that he desires for us to be. 
Heavenly Father, would you meet us in our desires? Would you help us to surrender? God, would you help us to move toward in friendship and relationship? And may you shape your church to reflect your son. God, we love you and we honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. Looking forward to next weekend as we close out this series together. We'll see you next time.